Anything goes as a variety of teams compete in a road race across the United States. Listen as we discuss anger over drunk driving laws, the guy who didn't jump the Grand Canyon, and the many David Hamburgers in Hollywood. Then we find out if the Cannonball Run stands the test of time. James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? James says gladiator with a glut Alan says as a father blah blah It's the test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Test of Time. My name is Alan Noah, and I am joined by my buddy, you, James Brief. I am James Brief. I've been James Brief as long as I know, and uh, it's good to see Al. It's good to see you, too. So tonight, we're going to be talking about another listener request movie, The Cannonball Run. And this came to us from Sue Winter, who's been on the show. She joined us to talk about singles and reality bites. She suggested that we talk about Smokey and the Bandit, which we did earlier in the year. And then on Facebook, she commented and she talked about her background with Smokey and the Bandit. And she said, next time you feel like lowering your standards, I recommend trying a Cannonball Run movie. Equally as silly, but with an Ocean's Eleven style cast and cooler cars. So, you know, November, we're doing listener requests. I was like, okay, let's watch this movie. Let's watch the Cannonball Run. I really just knew that it was another Burt Reynolds car movie. I knew nothing about it. Had you seen it before, James? I thought I did, and I realized I absolutely have seen this film. I must have been like four or five years old, and only the tiniest bits of this film did I remember, but I had seen it before. Okay. For anyone who hasn't seen it, it's about a variety of characters competing in a cross-country car race from Connecticut to California. So there's racer JJ and his sidekick Victor, played by Burt Reynolds and Dom DeLuise, respectively. Victor has a powerful secret identity, Captain Chaos. He and JJ drive an ambulance with a beautiful patient named Pamela. She's played by Farrah Fawcett. Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr. play scam artists dressed up as Catholic priests. Roger Moore plays, well, Roger Moore. Jackie Chan, who's famously from Hong Kong, plays a Japanese driver in a computerized car. Jamie Farr plays an Arab named Sheikh Abdul Ben Falafel. Yes, really, that is his name. Adrian Barbeau and Tara Buckman play two women who flash their cleavage to get out of speeding tickets. But who among this crew will win the Cannonball Run? You know who won the Cannonball Run, Al? Uh, who? The producers of this film. Holy shit. This film was a monster, monster hit. This film opened uh, June 19th, 1981. It opened at number two with 11.7 million, huge for the early 80s. It wound up making $72 million domestically. And this was actually the number three film in the United States in 1981. Really? Okay, so 1981. Um, Raiders of the Lost Ark? 
You are incorrect. We have reviewed both the number one and number two films. Um, number one is a sequel. It's on one of the best uh, sequels lists a lot of times. Uh Superman 2? Correct. Yeah, that that's true. And number two is a Bill Murray, Harold Ramis film that does not involve any ectoplasmic reticulums. Oh, stripes. Not ectoplasmic reticulums. I'm sorry. Uh, um, oh. Ecto... What, what, ect- ectoplasm. Ectoplasm. Yeah, there, there we go. Correct. Stripes. And number three, The Cannonball Run. Interesting. Okay. Yep. And number four, you know what's very interesting? Number four is a film called For Your Eyes Only. Do you know what that film is? That's a Roger Moore, James Bond movie. Right. So the same time that Cannonball Run is huge, uh, Roger Moore plays basically Roger Moore. Roger Moore himself, he really is the biggest movie star in the world. Uh, arguably, you could really make that argument. You know, him, Burt Reynolds. I mean, this film is also something that you really have to appreciate the cameos and co-stars of this film, I recognized some of them, but uh, some of them, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm either embarrassed to say I didn't recognize them or, you know, I just didn't recognize them. I, I had to read about them. But this is a star-studded cast. Yes, and the movie lets you know that it's a star-studded cast right away because when the movie starts, well, first there's the 20th Century Fox logo and there's a little cartoon of a, a car driving around and cops chasing it, which, okay, fine. They had a little bit of fun with the, the Fox logo. But then when the credits start, there's just a bunch of names, you know, the main stars of the movie's names listed on screen. It then says, starring in alphabetical order. After it's already given you a bunch of names. Then there's a whole bunch more. And then after that, it says co-starring in alphabetical order. So it's like three different tiers of names that they put on screen, letting you know that this is just A-list, B-list, and C-list, I guess. But even still, like, hey, these are all big names and you should be impressed with everyone who's in this movie. Um, I think that co-star used to really mean just smaller role, what we today call like supporting role. And then today, we don't really have co-starring. Sometimes they say with, or sometimes at the very end of the credits, they might say, and Samuel L. Jackson, you know, as Nick Fury, uh, as kind of, you know, he's not the star, he's the co-star. But yeah, this this film I had never heard of. I didn't know who uh, you know a lot of these people are looking at the uh, cast, but I know that they're famous, and I know that I'm supposed to at least think that they're famous. Yeah, and I think that's true with some more than others. I mean, Jackie Chan we know today, but Jackie Chan was not a big star when this movie came out. He was relatively new as an actor. I think this is only like his uh, second movie, I believe. Right, right. And uh, you said in the synopsis that he's famously from Hong Kong. That's, of course, today. But he's playing a Japanese guy. Uh, I would have to guess that this is more on the Hollywood side that was like, eh, whatever. Japan, China, it's 1981. Who cares? Oh, that's 100% what happened. And and he was very pissed off when he found out. Jackie Chan didn't know that when they were making the movie. And he found out later that they had just decided that he was going to be Japanese and he was not happy about that, which is understandable. Japanese and, and Chinese people, to say they look identical and interchangeable is not just racist. It's so like, 
wow. I, I mean, Jackie Chan's not famous either. It's not like, well, we really want a Jackie Chan, but the character was already Japanese, so, you know, we put him together. No, Jackie Chan's a nobody. You know, he does a little bit of martial arts in it, but why couldn't they just get a Japanese actor? Yeah, and that's not the only racist thing in this movie. Can I ask you a question before we go into the teams? Uh, do they ever discuss what the prize for this uh, race is? No, they don't. And they don't even really discuss what the cannonball race is. I know this only from reading about it. The cannonball run was, in fact, a real thing. And it actually wasn't called the cannonball run. There was an actual race across the country that was called the Cannonball Baker Sea to Shining Sea Memorial Trophy Dash. There were four of them run in the 70s. And I think that... It is just kind of assumed that the audience going into this movie will know and understand what the cannonball run is. They don't really tell you anything about what this race is and what they're doing until about 30, 35 minutes in where there's a scene where they sort of explain some of the rules, but not really explicitly. Maybe they mentioned the prize. I don't think so. But It's not really clear about, like, what the rules are, how this race works. Do they all have to take the same route? Apparently, for the real-life Cannonball Trophy Dash, you didn't have to follow a set route. It was basically, you start here, you end there, good luck, go. There really were no rules. But in the movie, it kind of seems like these guys all keep bumping into each other. So maybe they do have to take a set route, because... Obvious statement alert, it's a big fucking country and there's a million ways to get from one side to the other. Yeah, that really bothered me. If they had to run together, then say you have to go together. But that's stupid too. The whole point of it is supposed to be your ingenuity and like how you kind of get around the cops and stuff. Because, you know, they even say in the beginning, the last year's winners, now they did break the speed limit once or twice. All you needed was a little explanation of what it was because I think the idea is kind of intriguing. You know, say it's for, you know, $1981. Say say it's for 100 grand. Fine, whatever. That's all I need. And now I know why these people are risking their lives for it and why they're designing these cars and we need the doctor. It's so important to win this race. You know, put, put a little stakes on it. I, I didn't quite get why there was all these people were doing it. Right. No, that is not explained at all. But so as we talk about the movie, I think the best way to do it is to kind of break it up by the different teams, basically. And so I think the the main team is J.J. and Victor. That's Burt Reynolds and Dom DeLuise. And in, I believe, one of the first scenes, Dom DeLuise is talking about how they're going to win this race. You and me and him. And speaking of things that are not well explained, I did not get who him was referring to until pretty far along in the movie that him is his alter ego, Captain Chaos. Did you pick up on that pretty quickly? Is that just me being slow? I absolutely agree with you. I had no idea what that was. I, you know, it was, it was an intriguing, uh, you know, for a screenplay, throw that little mystery box in there early, but either keep referencing it or, uh, you know, have a better payoff. Because I, I actually didn't even make that connection until you said it there. I was like, oh, yeah, there was a guy in the beginning, him. I like that there is an alter ego. I think it's kind of cute, but I agree. It's very weird that uh, he just goes, and him. 
And then JJ hears it and like bangs his head on the roof of the car. And there's a boiling sound effect, uh, which was like, uh, okay, it's one of those movies where there are going to be a lot of sound effects, huh? Um, and, and there are more of those. Yeah, there's something very test of timey in this film, and it's no fault of the film. Unfortunately, I don't think this was a thing until the 80s, but there is a very casual relationship between drinking and either driving a car very fast or flying an airplane. There's a part where JJ and Victor are flying, and he's like, oh, I'm just going to uh, bring this little crop duster down for a beer run. And it's just like a very rapscallion yeah. thing. Like, they do it, and then they take off again. The... um. Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr. characters we'll talk about later. They're even talking about, uh, oh, those guys are lit up like Christmas lights or something. And it's obvious they're drinking whiskey at every scene. I think even like 1991 as opposed to 1981, they would not have had these characters drinking as much as they were. That is very, very true. I feel like I saw a thing on Twitter or somewhere on social media that was a video of when some law was like proposed about how you couldn't drink and drive. And some journalist is interviewing people who are opposed to the law about drinking or driving. And it's borderline laughable, except it's not because it's disturbing. But these people are like, hey, what's wrong? I can't go to the bar and have a couple of beers and then drive home after work. What is this, Nazi Germany? And it's like, this is the same fucking thing people say whenever there's going to be a rule that they don't like. It's just, you know, for decades now, Americans have been saying, what is this, Nazi Germany? Like, fuck off. Right. The, the legend is that when the seatbelt laws came into place in the 60s, that people would cut out their seatbelts uh, rather than have to be that safe like that. You know, th there are always going to be contrarians. Yes, you're right. But I mean, this is extreme contrarians. Mm -hmm. You know what this film also has in common with Smokey and the Bandit other than Burt Reynolds and Fast Cars? Well, they make a specific reference to Smokey and the Bandit in this movie when they're, like, they're trying to figure out what kind of car they should drive. And J.J. says, well, maybe I could just uh, drive a black Trans Am. Yeah, it's been done. Is that what you're referring to? No, I'm referring to the fact that in both of these films, there's a very casual kidnapping of a woman. And who yes. just later is like, oh, you, and becomes basically the love interest. I was thinking, I yes. was like, wait a second. Didn't they also kidnap Sally Field, like, basically out of nowhere in, in Smoking the Bandit? Because they basically kidnap Farrah Fawcett in this film as well. No, 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 no. They don't basically kidnap her. They fucking kidnap her. Okay. Uh, also, just sidebar, uh, both movies were directed by Hal Needham. That is uh, something else they have in common. But yeah, they kind of like make jokes about the kidnapping in this movie. Uh, JJ says something like, well, what did you expect? What did you think was going to happen? And she was like, well, I don't know. I figured a gangbang. And he's like, oh, come on. We're not rapists. And like all of this is happening very, very casually. And then that conversation goes right into him telling this like, air quotes, emotional story about his dad that, you know, his dad worked so hard in the coal mine and then he was going to retire, but he died right before he retired. And that's why he's so passionate about this race, because he's just going to live his life. And she's just kind of looking at him like, oh, that's really sweet. It's like, no, no, it's not sweet. This is a man who kidnapped you and is taking you across the country against your will 
Um, she's been drugged. The doctor, the proctologist, uh, Dr. Van Helsing, that's also kind of a air quotes joke of like, I could drug you. And she says, no. And then later on in like the next scene, it's like, no, no, she's been drugged. Like, this is royally fucked up. Yeah, uh, there's there's problems with the Pamela story. However, I will say that this is really one of the first times I've ever really seen Farrah Fawcett in something. Uh, I, I totally understand why she was a star. I thought she was incredibly charming in the whole film. I don't know that I agree with that. She's beautiful, but her character in this movie, she starts with something, which is that she loves trees and she talks a couple times in the beginning of the movie that she loves trees because you can lie underneath a, a tree and blow your brains out which is like a weird fucking statement but like okay so she's kind of quirky and then they drop that once she gets kidnapped and the rest of the movie she's just eye candy there's nothing interesting about her role after you know the first i don't know 10 15 minutes or so I'll agree with you that there's nothing particularly affirmatively interesting, but I think she just kind of goes along with the plot. And I found her, like I said, I just found her charming. I didn't find her offensive. And if I had to rank the characters, she was one of my, uh, one of the characters I liked better. Okay. But, uh, you know, let's talk about Captain Chaos. That whole theme that he would say, uh, da 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 I don't know if it's from this film or if, is that just a generic like superhero calling or something? Because that's a good when question. I, heard I don't know. That, I was like, I've been saying that my whole life. Not necessarily like I've actually been saying it, but kind of that would be to me the intro to a hero. And I wonder if it's like when I saw this film once when I was like five years old. Because I, you know, Tom DeLuise, I think he's kind of adorable. Not necessarily funny. He really, really puts himself into this Captain Chaos character. I'll say as an actor, I appreciate his commitment to it because I find Captain Chaos annoying yet lovable. Like what he does at the end, like he could win the race, but instead a woman says, help, my baby's in distress. And it turns out to be like a puppy like swimming in the river. But like, uh, you know, Captain Chaos is of course going to help a, a lady who says her baby's in trouble instead of winning a race. So I thought he was charming, but it was a little bit cartoonish for me. Yeah, I mean, I found it to be kind of just eye-roll-worthy stupid. There's a throwaway line. I think it's uh, Sammy Davis Jr. I'm not positive, but he says something like, he's the guy you got to watch out for. Not JJ, not Victor, but Captain Chaos. He is a force to be reckoned with. And the reason is, is that he basically has like some kind of superhuman powers. Like at the big fight scene at the end, Victor can't fight, but Captain Chaos can take on all of these biker gang members. All right, fine. Then they're driving and they're losing the race. And then it's like, oh, we need Captain Chaos. He puts on the mask and he's Captain Chaos. And then all of a sudden, this ambulance is able to drive faster than a Ferrari and a Lamborghini. And I'm sorry, but that's not how masks work. I hated that now this was an altered ambulance fine but i really hated the fact that he was able to drive faster when he did that um yeah yeah the ambulance became a super ambulance i, I did not like that Speaking of which, do you remember when they were uh, in this big biker fight at the end and uh, these bikers, like, they're carrying the two beautiful women into this shack and then Captain Cass is like, 
da 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 and he goes in and suddenly the men go flying out the window and flying through the walls and stuff. You remember that that part? Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, like another kind of like lighthearted rape joke, basically. Right, okay, that's what I was wondering. Like, you had to think one more scene in this in your head, but uh, dragging him to a shed, oh man. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, we, we can move on to those competitors. Like Farrah Fawcett, they are just eye candy. That's all that they are. I'll, I'll be honest, I didn't recognize these women at first, but then I saw that one of them was Adrian Barbeau, who I remember was in Creepshow. I remember your sister Joanna mentioning her. Did you happen to see who was the one cop at the end of the movie where it didn't work when they flash the cleavage and they don't get away with uh, the speeding ticket? I'm not sure. Who is it? It's Valerie Perrine, a.k.a. Miss Tessmacher from Superman and Superman 2. Oh, Miss Tess- Miss Tessmacher! Exactly. Uh, but yeah, that is the beginning, middle, and end of these two characters. They're babes. Um, let's talk about Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr. They are, I guess, like con artists, scammers, and they get dressed up as priests. And it's kind of a gag that Dean Martin is hitting on women, but they're not interested in him because he's a priest. And then he keeps saying, Methodist, we should have been Methodist. But the idea is that if they get pulled over and they're priests, then, you know, cops will go easy on them or, or something. There's also a joke uh, very early on when Sammy Davis Jr. says, oh, we'll get away with whatever because God is on our side. And Hava Nagila is playing in the background, which is a wink to the audience because Sammy Davis Jr. famously converted to Judaism. And if you know that, then I guess that joke is funny. If you don't know that, maybe it's just going completely over your head. There's also a part where they encounter JJ and Victor on the road and they're like, oh, those are real priests. No, they're not. Maybe they are. Maybe they aren't because, you know, they're driving a Ferrari. But JJ just doesn't believe that they're priests because he's like, well, one of them is black. So how would that work? And I'm like, that's not even like an offensive joke, a a not politically correct joke. That is just pure stupidity. Why would anyone think that a priest couldn't be black? Like, I don't understand that at all. There are so many black priests and uh, Catholicism is all over Africa. It's, it's a very odd thing to say. Yeah. You're right. It's not racist as much as it's like, it's just dumb. It's like not thinking yeah. that they're black Christians. I mean, it's just a very stupid thing to say. Yes. And then also in that scene, uh, Sammy Davis Jr., takes a knife and uh, takes out one of the tires of the ambulance and Victor is sitting right there in the driver's seat and doesn't notice. I don't understand how, how that works at all. But let's talk about Roger Moore playing Roger Moore. You know, just two weeks ago, I was saying how I was insulted when Marlon Brando was basically playing Marlon Brando. And here again, we have Roger Moore playing Roger Moore. Like, he is basically doing the James Bond shtick. The James Bond theme is playing underneath him all the time. Like, what the fuck is this? The thing about The Freshman is, while I didn't like that they kept repeating the uh, Don Corleone uh, looks like uh, this guy here joke, they never actually said it. The first scene with Roger Moore is with his mother, and she goes... 
you're prancing around like you're some kind of movie star like Roger Moore. And I'm like, oh, my God. He, they actually say it. And then later in the film, he's, like, going to fight one of the bikers. And he goes, careful, I am Roger Moore. And, oh, God. I mean, I, you know, the whole thing works even if he doesn't quite say he's James Bond. Put the James Bond theme in there, fine. Even people are like, aren't you? No, no, no. My name is Bill Thompson or whatever. You know, his name uh, uh, Sam Goldfarb, or is that his name? Seymour. Seymour Goldfarb. Roger Moore is a caricature of himself. Like, it was an unnecessary groan. It's really, really stupid. Also, in that scene with his mom, he pulls a gun on his mom, and the quote-unquote joke is that, you know, he pulls the trigger and it's just a little flag that says bang. But, like, that's not fucking funny. To pull a gun on your mom and pull the trigger, even if it is a toy gun? Like, what the fuck? That is just batshit. You know, the, the James Bond gadgets, I kind of like them because in a, in a Cannonball Run kind of film, it totally makes sense when each kind of car or each person is going to be their own little character. Perfect. Have James Bond-esque cars doing oil slicks and smoke screens. And who better to play that than Roger Moore? But don't call him Roger Moore. The one bit of that character that I thought was mildly amusing was the fact that every time he's in the car, he has a different, beautiful woman next to him. It's not the same passenger. Like everyone else in the movie, there's teams and, you know, the teammates stay the same. They're consistent throughout the movie. He has a different girl every time because that's what James Bond does. There's always a different girl by his side. That was mildly amusing, not laugh out loud funny by any stretch, but like, okay, haha, I get it. I think that's actually a, a good joke. Um, but let, let's talk about Jackie Chan. The thing I didn't get about this uh, car is that it is so super powered. I do not understand how they didn't win because it has night vision. They have so many advantages. The two of them could just drive nonstop and be undetected because they are night vision. They don't have to put on their headlights, which means the cops couldn't find them. And I just don't understand why those two didn't win. That's a valid point. Maybe what you're supposed to think is that they get easily distracted because there is a part where Jackie Chan puts on a porno tape. I think it wasn't a VHS and it wasn't a beta. I think it was a three quarter inch tape, which is a rare format that you don't see a lot of. And, you know, from a test of time perspective, the fact that it would be on a tape is kind of laughable all these years later. But maybe that's what you're just supposed to think, that they're just distracted by other things and there's too much technology. I mean, they don't make that point. No, and it sets up perfectly a tortoise and the hare kind of thing. Yeah, these guys are absolutely, they're, they're the hare, they're the rabbit. They're so much faster than everyone. Really established why they did something stupid to not win, but it didn't happen. No, and I think it is also fair to point out that these characters are just extra cartoony. I mean, a lot of them are, you know, Roger Moore and J.J. Victor, Captain Chaos, like a lot of these Characters are cartoonish, but the babes and Jackie Chan and uh, 
the Arab, like they are just meant to be super, super, super one dimensional. But a quote unquote computer car, this makes perfect sense. You know, the racist Arab, that doesn't make sense unless he has like some secret, uh, you know, Arab idea, but they never utilize that. Speaking of the Arab character played by Jamie Farr, his name is Abdul Ben Falafel, which is just horrifically offensive. There was one part that kind of made me not laugh, but I guess maybe smile from a test of time perspective. He orders food. Apparently, he calls it in like to a restaurant ahead of time. And the waitress says that this is the first time they ever took an order by phone. That just kind of made me laugh from a test of time perspective of like, okay, yeah, this was 1981, especially from car phones. But, you know, not even just uh, the fact that he's a rich guy who had a car phone in 1981, which is uncommon. You would think people in homes might order from restaurants by phone, that it wouldn't be that weird. But apparently it was. You know, even a pizza. They definitely had pizza parlors in 1981. Who wants to drive to the pizza parlor and then say, I'll have a large pizza for the family and I will now sit here for 15 minutes. You don't have one of those brand new telemophones, do you? This is not World War I. Although, I just have to think maybe that line was, you know, it was dated from like the mid-70s or something. Maybe people just didn't do that. I don't know. You know, maybe Domino's kind of changed the whole idea of delivery and maybe takeout just wasn't a thing. Maybe. Then there's also like this uh, super rich guy who's there with his associate and their whole bit is they're going to pretend to be husband and wife. So one of the guys puts on a wig and I don't really understand what the point of the wig is. Like what's that supposed to do? Why are they husband and wife? And this is another team I don't understand why they didn't win. Because not only are they on a motorcycle, which will be the easy, you know, the best gas mileage they'll have, but they're doing a wheelie, basically the entire cross-country race. So that that makes you go a lot faster to do a wheelie because you're you're on the uh, one wheel, no friction from the other wheel. Why are they neck and neck with an ambulance? But, um, you know, this was not just any random rich guy i knew this guy this actor and i go wait a second is that bert convy and it is bert convy do you know who bert convy is not even a little bit he's a game show host uh from the 80s and he looks like a game show host like almost like in the 80s it was a thing like you look like a game show host today game shows are basically celebrities but back then they were kind of the like And I mean this as a compliment to Burkambi. Like, they were generically uh, handsome men. I still watch the the game show channel Buzzer on my antenna TV. He hosts, like, Password and Super Password and some of the other crappy uh, 80s game shows. So I totally know Burkambi. And I was like, oh, wow, he's an actor in, like, a big film. Oh, okay. No, I I did not notice that. When that character is introduced, he's doing this amazingly impressive stunt where he rides a motorcycle out of a plane, which is pretty fucking pointless because as soon as he goes off the ramp, then he's just skydiving. And he's going to kill somebody when that motorcycle lands. And, you know, you're right. It just looks stupid. I think the idea he was going for was to kind of ride the motorcycle 
down for, you know, 40 seconds or something. And then at least it kind of looked like Evil Knievel a little bit. But he just looked incredibly stupid. It's not like those guys that take, like, a surfboard and they're surfing the whole way down. It just looked incredibly dumb. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Speaking of which, um, there's a line when they're in a diner and some lady says, that's about as stupid as when that guy jumped over the Grand Canyon. Yeah, yeah. Evil Knievel. Exactly. Now, here's the thing. Just like um, uh, Beam Me Up Scotty was never said, Play It Again Sam was never said, Evil Knievel never jumped the Grand Canyon. It never happened. It's one. I, I guess is it, is it Mandela effect? Is is that what we call it today? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Evil Knievel never. Uh, he never uh, jumped the Grand Canyon. He attempted like the Snake River Canyon or something, but the Grand Canyon never happened. Well, I mean, isn't that like massively huge and would obviously be impossible that no one could jump over that thing on a fucking motorcycle? Unless there's like a really narrow part. Yeah, I think eventually some guy, maybe it was even like an Evil Knievel heir. I think they eventually got one of those little inlets, you know, one of those little cavities. I think that's what they drove over or or rode over or attempted to. But Evil Knievel never rode over the Grand Canyon. But you're right. The major part of the Grand Canyon is like, I don't know, a mile wide or something. That's impossible. I just Googled it. The first thing that popped up is Robbie Knievel jumps the Grand Canyon. Okay, yeah. So he does it, you know, taking the name of Evil Knievel. Um, you know, the question is, why are they husband and wife? I, I, I don't get it. Um, but also, why does the biker gang beat them up at the end? Is it because it, they see that a man's wearing a wig? Is that what riles them up so much? That's a really good question. And I think the honest answer is because they wanted to have a big brawl scene at the end of the movie and shut up, don't ask questions about it. I mean, you're right. My guess is, yeah, probably it's because there was a man wearing a wig and these biker guys didn't like that. Maybe because the guy looked rich and so they thought he was just an easy target. But I I think really it's just because they wanted to have this big, huge brawl, which is pointless and weird and out of left field. So JJ and uh, and Victor in a competition, someone uh, getting beaten up, that's something we can't uh, allow. And I don't get why everyone goes and rescues him. I think it's very nice of them. Again, if we knew what the Cannonball Run prize was, maybe it was just for the honor, then maybe they would be honorable people. But I just don't get why they all rescued him. They don't really know each other. It's not like they're on a big team. Right. It doesn't make any sense. I think it's really just about the plot mechanics where they want to have everybody at this one place in this big fight scene. And then they all have like one last sprint all together going for the the finish line. And we talked about it earlier, how Captain Chaos could win the race, but then he goes to stop the rescue. Uh, it's one of the, the two babes who actually wins the race because Captain Chaos takes himself out of it. But that doesn't make any fucking sense, by the way, because when the race starts, it's a rolling start. They give everyone the punch card And so you punch the card when you leave and then you punch the card at the finish line. The two women, the two babes, they start way, way, way before JJ and Victor. So JJ and Victor would have won even if he just punched it like a minute later after he rescued the dog. I was thinking that immediately with a rolling start. I'm like, 
wait, are they going to kind of stagger it and make the audience do the math in their head? I was actually kind of wondering that. I was like, why don't they have them all lined up? I think they wanted a little gag with with each one of them uh, punching the box. But for a plot point, it was very stupid. You know, then uh, JJ comes up to him and he's really pissed off. We could have won. And he said, give me that stupid mask. No more Captain Chaos. All right, fine. And do you think maybe the character's doing one of those things where he goes, time to grow up. I won't do that anymore, JJ. And he goes, all right, I'm not going to be Captain Chaos anymore. And he ducks down out of camera's view and then pops up with an entirely different mask. I guess he was holding the entire time and jumped into the water with. But he goes, I want to be Captain USA. Ha ha. And he's wearing a totally different mask, which uh, the joke itself, uh, you know, okay, it's, it's in line with the character. But I mean, it's just a little bit too cartoonish for me. Yes, I agree with all of that. Also, it's like really fucking shitty the way that JJ is like, you made us lose and I hate you and I never want to see Captain Cass ever again. It is brutal. It is nasty. Also, the entire crowd is behind him and they're all agreeing. Even Farrah Fawcett's character is like, yeah, you really screwed up, loser. And then... It's like, oh, no, now I'm going to be this other captain. And everyone's like, oh, that's so funny. You are the best. We love you. It's like, wait a second. That was like a lot of major character turns, hairpin turns. And it's like just for a gag. And I get it. It's supposed to be a comedy. But like, it's not satisfying that like he's a total asshole. And then he's like, no, no, it's fine. No, it completely reminded me of a cheesy 80s or 90s sitcom. Someone just says, hey, Dad, let's not do this again. And everyone just laughs hysterically. Executive producer, blah, blah, blah. Like, the fact that we don't know what the prize was is incredibly frustrating. Like, did Captain Chaos, like, lose a million dollars for this? Again, it's still noble that he thought a baby was in danger. But it would just be interesting to know why J.J. is that mad. Yeah, it's it's not clear. And honestly, like, he saved a fucking adorable puppy and you're mad at him? Like, uh, okay. Um, then the credits start rolling and there's bloopers and outtakes. But I do just have to mention, because it made me laugh, the very first credit, like as the bloopers start rolling, is the unit production manager. And his name is David S. Hamburger. And it wasn't all that long ago when we were talking with uh, Mark J. Parker on our A Night at the Roxbury episode about how if you're in the credits and there's somebody who has the same name as you, you have to use the middle initial like Samuel L. Jackson. So it just kind of made me laugh that there was already a guy named David Hamburger. And so this guy has to go by David S. Hamburger. I don't know why, but there's just something about that that made me laugh. And honestly, that was the laugh during the end credits because that was way funnier than the outtakes, which weren't funny at all. Like, outtakes are usually funny, but, like, these outtakes were just a lot of Burt Reynolds threatening to slap Dom DeLuise and Dean Martin slapping Sammy Davis Jr. and them all giggling about these slaps. Like, okay, is this funny? Is this supposed to be funny? I didn't think it was fucking funny. Did you think it was funny? Um, no, I didn't find them particularly funny. However, 
I think it was very creative of them to do this because uh, I read that this was one of the first times that people had seen this and Jackie Chan was so impressed by the outtakes that um, he, he famously would do them in all of his films. And, you know, I didn't think they were particularly funny, but I, I do, I kind of like outtakes. I, th- I think they're kind of fun. And I think the point of this film is it's really just kind of more of a, supposed to be a fun film. So I think it works. It wasn't, I don't think it necessarily has to be funny, but uh, well, they're better when they're funny. And I will say, Al, I looked up, there's at least three David Hamburgers on, uh, rather four David Hamburgers on IMDb, and there's four David Hamburgs, and there's one David Bamberger. Wow. Who knew? But James, let me ask you about the Cannonball Run as a whole. Do you think the movie stands the test of time? I understand exactly why this was a big hit in 1981. It had every star they wanted. I mean, it had Rat Pack guys. It had beautiful women in it. It did have some funny lines in it. Um, The concept, I mean, it it makes sense. The plot is pretty straightforward. And, you know, you could summarize the entire film in, you know, one sentence. A bunch of people go cross country from uh, East Coast to West Coast. I just think that the further out you get from knowing these actors, um, you know, the fact that you, if you know that Sammy Davis Jr. and Dean Martin are best friends and they're kind of a duo, it makes a lot more sense. I kind of know who they are, but I don't really know who they are. I had to look up on IMDb who uh, who most of these people were. You know, and I don't mean that as an insult to them. It's just a new generation. And a lot of the things in this film are supposed to be about the, you know, your favorite stars on screen. And I don't know who any of these people are. I happen to know who Burt Convy is and I was actually most excited to see him. And I was like, oh, Burt Convy. And I guess if it was 1981, I'd be like, oh, Sammy Davis Jr. And this guy, I like and this woman oh and she's in Maud that's one of the women one of the beautiful women is from Maud I I, I read but for me yeah the, the film just doesn't really uh, stand the test of time it, it's not funny enough I don't really get the the cameos and the co-stars and the, the star-studded picture so uh, no I get why it was a hit but it just didn't age well and it does not stand the test of time uh, what do you think Al the Cannonball Run 1981 does it stand the test of time no, it absolutely doesn't. It's not even fucking close. I agree with you. This movie really depends on the audience knowing stuff. It depends on you knowing what the cannonball run is because they don't bother fucking explaining it. You have to know not just that Roger Moore is James Bond, but that Sammy Davis Jr. is Jewish and that he's friends with Dean Martin and that Burt Reynolds was in this movie where he drove a black Trans Am. And like, there's just so many like winks and nudges to the audience. I was complaining about something similar when I was going off about The Flash. It's like, you need to have a lot of knowledge to appreciate what this movie is going for. And yeah, like many years later, Fewer people are going to have that knowledge, not to mention the fact that so much of this movie is really, really fucking offensive from the Chinese guy playing a Japanese character that he didn't even know about to all of the women just being eye candy and nothing else to the kidnapping being fine and the rape jokes like all of this shit is just weird and wrong and and shitty. Also, just not even taking into account the collateral damage that would 
inevitably be caused by this race and, you know, car crashes and people being killed. A stunt woman who was working on this movie became a a quadriplegic because of an accident, which is a fucking awful, awful story. They ripped out the seatbelts in the, the stunt car because they figured it would be fine. And it wasn't. But, you know, th- there's a scene in the movie where a car crashes into the hotel that they're all staying at at the beginning of the race. And a guy seems to be like knocked unconscious. And then J.J., just like grabs a seltzer bottle and sprays him in the face and then sprays him on his dick. So it's like, ha ha, he peed himself. Like this guy could have died. And then he says, take two enemas and call me in the morning. Oh my God. That was awful. That line. Sure. Yes, it was. There's also a ton of like proctology jokes because the, uh, the weird creepy doctor, uh, who's drugging Farrah Fawcett against her will. He's a proctologist. So, butt jokes you know there's a lot of that in there too i don't think anything in this movie really works apparently there was talk at a certain point about doing a remake and there's a way you could do it i think any attempt to do a movie about a cross-country race would have to involve not necessarily the name brand ways but some kind of app you know that's going to make the route for you some kind of ai algorithm where that that's going to be how you win it right it's like knowing the traffic patterns and figuring out the the fastest way to get from a to b oh yeah this is a great movie to remake i think it's a great you can get a lot of young stars and and established stars i just make it funny cross country is always a it's a really easy premise and yeah there's all kinds of adventures all kinds of mishaps that happen and yeah i think this this movie would be great to remake Look, it it could be done, but it would be a radically, radically different script with completely different characters. It would have nothing to do with this 1981 version other than cross-country race. That would be it. That would be the only similarity. You could also have a rule where if you get pulled over, then you get a penalty, right? Like they add an hour to your time. So you don't want to speed. You don't want to drive 240 miles an hour, even if you can, because eh, that's going to really hurt you in the long run. So it could be done, but this movie a thousand percent does not stand the test of time. Sue, thank you for suggesting the movie. (laughs) Sorry for shitting on it, but no, this is not even close. But that's going to do it for us this week. Next week, we got one more uh, listener request. This is a movie called Surviving the Game. This was requested by listener Tomek Gross. He had previously suggested that we watch Tank Girl, and he said that we should talk about Surviving the Game. I had never heard of this movie. Do you know this one, James? I have no idea what the game is. Uh, I don't even know what sport or even the game is a metaphor, perhaps. Uh, but I shall find out. I could tell you just because I, I looked it up. Should I, or do you want to go in cold? Um, I'll go in cold. I'm just gonna guess that it is an actual game, an actual established sport. Okay, you will find out next week, James, and listeners, you will find out too if you subscribe, if you like, if you follow, if you do whatever you have to do on whatever podcast app you're listening to us on. Hey. It's almost Thanksgiving. You know what would make us really thankful? If you wrote us a nice review on Apple Podcasts, say something nice about the show. I'll read it on the air. And uh, we will see you next week, everybody. Bye, everyone. Bye.